And please remain standing if you're able, and let's turn together to Genesis once again. Genesis chapter 43, page 36 in the Blue Pew Bible. And we'll read the entire chapter. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open your word to us. We are very dull of hearing, and we need your spirit to open our eyes. We pray that you'd grant illumination to us. Bless us with your word and spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear God's holy word. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to this man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house 
and slaughter an animal and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house, and the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we've brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph coming at noon. For they heard that they should not eat bread or that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present they had with them, and bowed to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare. And he said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Well, the famine is in full force uh, at this point. It is... Uh, just as severe, apparently, in the land of Canaan, where Jacob and his sons were, 
uh, just as it was just as severe there as it was in Egypt. And his whole family is on the brink of starvation. They were nearly out of food. They had to get more food. Chapter 41 ended with the brothers uh, having returned from Egypt, but without Simeon. Simeon was kept behind as a captive. Joseph kept him there. And he told these brothers, of course, that they had to go back home and come back with their youngest brother, Benjamin. And so when they got back, of course, they had to tell their father this. And he would not even consider letting them bring Benjamin. He didn't trust them, and he let them know it. He knew that somehow something was fishy, and those brothers must have been responsible in some way for the loss of Joseph all those years ago. And he wasn't about to trust them to take his youngest son, his only remaining son, by his beloved wife, Rachel. So time has passed now, quite a bit of time. The food is used up, nearly gone, and the brothers were probably wondering, what are we going to do here? We need to go get more food. But Jacob had dug in his heels about Benjamin. Maybe they were wondering, well, as we run out of food, maybe Dad will change his mind. And yet nobody seemed to have the guts to ask. So finally, Jacob himself said, go back to Egypt and buy us a little more food. And of course, his sons had to remind him, we can't just do that. A trip to Egypt, a long trip like that, it's, it's, it's one thing that it's a long trip, that's bad enough, but it would be a useless trip unless Benjamin came along. Judah stood up and reminded his father of their predicament. The man in Egypt said, do not come back unless you bring Benjamin your youngest sibling. So Judah said, send him with me and we'll go. I will be a pledge of his safety. I will bring him back to you. And I will take the blame if something happens to him. At this point, Jacob was finally willing to listen to Judah's plan. And he finally agreed to it. But then he laid out his own plan, Jacob did. He wants this trip to go well, and so he tells them, you need to take these gifts of food. And that would have been uh, just standard protocol in that day to take gifts with you when you go before a high official. And so he says, I want you to take all these gifts with you, these gifts of food, and I want you to take double the money with you carry back with you all the money that was returned to you the first time? Perhaps it was just an oversight. He wants them to do everything they can to be ready to have a good meeting with this man, pay him all the money that he was owed, 
and make it clear that they were not trying to cheat him. And then he, he consents and he says, take Benjamin with you and go. But he didn't send them off without prayer. We see his prayer here. This is really a, a prayer he offers. He says, may God Almighty grant you mercy before this man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And then he ends it with this last statement that sounds uh, pretty bleak and pessimistic. He says, as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So Jacob took these steps to act prudently by sending these gifts along. This was just a, a very good idea. It was a prudent thing to send extra money along. But ultimately, what does he say here in this prayer? He says, we need to entrust ourselves to God. He puts his trust in the Lord for this journey. If the trip is successful, it would be because God grants success in his mercy. Not because of the gifts, not because of um, human planning. And notice here, Jacob prays to God Almighty, El Shaddai. And by using this name, Jacob was reminding himself, and he's reminding his sons, too, that God is able to give success on this journey. And in particular, God is able to keep his promises. That's really what this is all about. God had promised long ago to bless and make Abraham's offspring, Abraham and Isaac, and now Jacob's offspring, to be like the sand of the seashore and like the stars in the sky. And so think about what Jacob's doing here in, in sending off uh, all his sons like this. He's really sending them uh, into danger, humanly speaking. He's sending all those descendants, uh, all those offspring by which uh, all that vast multitude that God had promised to uh, bring from them. He's sending them. He's risking everything by sending them into Egypt. As far as he knows, he's got this angry man down there that is going to do them harm. He's entrusting it all to the Lord. And he knows God has promised. He's made those old promises, and he's trusting the Lord to keep those promises, to bring them to fulfillment by protecting his children. He's entrusting their lives to the care and protection of the Almighty. Putting everything in God's hands. Casting all his cares on him, you might say. The same God is our God. And may he enable us to trust in him in that same way, with that same kind of faith.
knowing his almighty power and his faithfulness to his own promises. God wants us to trust in his son in that way. We need to trust in Jesus Christ in that way. You, as individuals, need to entrust your life, your soul, your eternal future to his safekeeping. And he will do it. He is worthy of your trust. Next, notice Jacob's words here. Uh, as we read, they sound like words of resignation. They sound pretty pessimistic. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. But this is not really pessimism. Jacob's saying, God's will be done. God's will be done. It took a while for Jacob to get to that point where he surrendered to God's will, but he's there now. He's resigned to the truth that whatever God ordains is right. And I'm sure there was fearfulness mixed with his faith here. He's showing us faith in the Lord, but it's normal for there to be fear mixed with our faith. And surely that was so for Jacob. He knows something could happen. Bad things could happen as a result. But he's trusting God for whatever happens. It will be God's good and perfect will. And we need to think that way and believe that way as well as we cast our cares on the Lord. It's good for us to say, Thy will be done, Lord, and really trust Him that His will, whatever it is, is exactly what we need and what's best for us and what will glorify Him. Well, the scene shifts back to Egypt. The brothers made their journey. They arrived and they came before Joseph. And when he saw them and when he saw his younger brother, Benjamin, he ordered them to be taken to his house. He planned to show them hospitality. He planned to do good to them. He wanted to be reconciled to them. And so he shows them uh, a lot of kindness here. But they didn't know that that was in his heart. They're afraid of him. They didn't know he had good intentions. They have no idea who he is, and they feared the worst because of the way he treated them harshly the last time. And they were afraid. In verse 18, we read, the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. They didn't expect anything like that. They thought, what's this guy going to do to us? It's got to be because of the money that was replaced in our sacks. He probably thinks we, we cheated him, and he's going he's to do something terrible to us. They're, they're, they almost look paranoid as they're, uh, they're talking amongst themselves and then as they talk to the servant of Joseph. Calvin has a really interesting take on this. He comments that these brothers 
are afflicted with guilty consciences. Not necessarily because of the money that was put back in their sacks, but because of what they did to their brother. And they were, as we saw last time, convinced that they were under God's judgment, that God was dealing with them, that God was dealing with them for their past sins. And this wasn't entirely off base, was it? God was dealing with them. He was disciplining them through these circumstances. He's disciplining them by by putting them through this this difficult time, this fearful uh, situation that they're in with Joseph and uh, with the loss of their brother um, before. He's disciplining them in in a somewhat of a harsh way. We could say he's using the rod here. But he's going to discipline them in a different way very soon. And we see that unfold too. He's going to discipline them with kindness. That's often how God works. There are times when we need the rod. There are times when we need kindness. There are times when we need to be awakened to the fear of God. And those brothers, they needed that. But other times we need comfort. We need to be shown kindness. And it all has to do with the attitude of the person who's being disciplined. Earlier, these brothers were, were very stubborn. They were very hard-hearted. They were rough and tough. Murder was in their hearts, you remember. And so God had to deal with them. He had to use the rod. He had to deal with them with tough love. He used Joseph's harshness toward them. He used their father, Jacob's distrust of them to work on them, to soften them up. And that's what's happened. But at this point, they've been softened. They're like broken people. They're much more tender. And so now God can deal with them more gently. And he does that with Joseph's different attitude toward them. And we start to see it here in verses 19 to 22. They're so fearful, they, they, they just think, we've got to be um, proactive here and go to this servant before we even see Joseph. And we've got to tell this man, give him this big, long, drawn-out explanation about how the money was accidentally put into our bags last time. And so they did that. And they tried to give it back. And this was a very fearful attempt to try to get out of trouble, the trouble that they were sure that they were in. But they were shocked when the servant gave them a very kind and gracious reply. It's a very interesting reply. He said, the word used here is shalom. Shalom, peace be with you. And he says to them, don't be afraid. Your God has put 
treasure in your sacks. God put that money back in your bags. He's assuring them. He's comforting them. Everything's okay. Be at peace. Don't be afraid. But it sure sounds like Joseph had some kind of godly influence on this man who worked for him, the steward. He must have. Maybe he told him the whole story of who these men from Canaan were. Maybe this person had even become a worshiper of the God of Israel through Joseph's witness and word and deed. Well, in any case, these brothers must have been just absolutely dumbfounded to hear this reply of this steward. They were, they were surely comforted, too, by his words. Maybe they recalled their father's prayer that God would grant them favor before the man. And that's exactly what was happening. They expected anger. They expected accusations. They expected punishment. There's none of that. Instead, all they got were these comforting assurances of peace. God's grace should surprise us that way, too. It should. If we know ourselves rightly, we know that we don't deserve that. We know that we're sinful. We feel our guilt. We certainly should. And we should know that we deserve condemnation for our sins. But that's the wonder of God's grace. The shock of it, really. The gospel comes to us with the free offer of God's mercy and saving grace. If only we'll believe it. If only we'll receive it with empty hands. The grace of God is too good to be true. I hope it seems that way to you because that's exactly how it is. It should hit you that way. It's too good to be true, and yet it is true. God sent his son into the world to die under your condemnation so that he can give to you his grace and peace and his steadfast love forever so that he can treat you kindly and graciously. May we never lose the sense of being amazed by that. God's wonderful, stunning grace. It's so much better than we deserve. Well, the kind and gracious treatment continued. These brothers really got the royal treatment here. The steward took the men into Joseph's house and took care of them, gave them everything they needed, gave them water to wash with and uh, food for their donkeys. And then they prepared their gifts to give to Joseph when he came. And then he did come. He arrived. And the brothers presented him with their gifts. And they bowed before him. 
told they prostrated themselves before Joseph. And of course, Moses is reminding us here as he writes this that God was fulfilling those old prophetic dreams of Joseph's. Here they are coming true. God's revelation was coming true as these brothers bowed down before him. Joseph must have just smiled in his heart seeing this. And then he asked about their welfare and about their father's welfare. And again, the word shalom is used. It means peace or welfare. He's asking them, how are you? Do your father and you all have peace and well-being and wholeness? That's what that word shalom uh, means. It's a very full uh, sense of what peace means. A peace in your whole being. Welfare. They answered, yes, we have peace. We and our Father are well. So now these men, they must have been shocked by how kind Joseph himself was to them. The steward had been so kind and gracious to them, but now the man himself speaks to them in such an unexpected way. Again, they were terrified of him. They were afraid that they were going to be made slaves or thrown in prison or something. They're getting a completely different reception than they expected. Instead of punishment, they were being blessed. Blessed with hospitality. Blessed with lavish kindness. Then Joseph turned his attention to the youngest, Benjamin. He said, is this your youngest brother? Of course, there was a special connection between these two because they had the same mother. And you see the tenderness that Joseph felt for his brother. He says, God be gracious to you, my son. He was kind to all his brothers, but he speaks this blessing and invokes God's grace upon Benjamin. And then he broke down. He just broke down with emotion after seeing Benjamin, and he has to run out uh, to look for a a private place to, to, to cry. And he did that. He wept. And after he regained his composure, he came back and ordered the food to be served. And they feasted together. Although not entirely together because Egyptian custom required that Joseph eat separately from these foreigners. But they're together nonetheless, and they're enjoying uh, fellowship together. They're feasting on this lavish meal. And the meal was so good and so wonderful, and this time was so good that the brothers just couldn't believe it. They looked at each other in amazement at the, at the grace that they were receiving. Not to mention um, another shocker. It seems that Joseph 
was able to seat them uh, according to their age. And of course, he knew exactly how to do that, but they didn't know how he could do that. They st- stunned them. And as the meal went on, we're told portions were served to them from Joseph's table. He shared the best of the best with them. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. That should have been a little clue for his brothers, but they're clueless still as to who Joseph really was. But why would he do this? He gives this lavish portion to his full brother, Benjamin. It seems maybe he was testing his brothers again. Remember, he's been testing them in his interactions with them. Maybe he's testing them to see if their old sin of jealousy would arise again. You remember how jealous they were of him when he was younger and had that coat of many colors because he was his father's favorite. He's testing them to see if that old sin would arise again. Thankfully, it didn't. They just enjoyed the generosity of their host and continued feasting together. In reality, Joseph's gracious treatment of them all was far more gracious than they even knew, considering what they'd done to him. If they knew it was him, they'd be even more stunned. They had done such evil against him. They wanted him dead. Initially, they intended to make him dead. And then they sold him as a slave, which wasn't much better. And Joseph suffered all those years, so much of it in a prison because of these men. And yet now Joseph is lavishing kindness and grace upon these men. They were essentially his enemies. They had made themselves enemies to him. But now even before they could um, ever even offer an apology or even know that they needed to give him an apology, he's pouring out this lavish grace on them and the way that he treats them. Isn't that beautiful to see? God had done a work in that man's heart. A natural man cannot do that, cannot act that way toward people who have ruthlessly treated him and abused him like that. Only God can change a person that way. Only God can enable us to show grace and love like this and put that kind of a forgiving spirit in us. God's grace was at work in Joseph in that way. It's beautiful to see. May he work that way in each of us as well. And this is a picture of God's own character the way we see Joseph acting toward 
his rascally brothers. This is a picture of God's own character and how he has lavished his amazing grace on us. While we were still his enemies, while we fully embraced being his enemies, while we wanted to be his enemies, while we hated him, when God unveils his grace and kindness to us sinners, it is truly astounding. The sense of that should come home to us. But that's exactly how he intends it to be, and that's how he reconciles us to himself. His grace and his love is so undeserved, and he gives us that understanding that this is just the opposite of what we deserve. He wants his grace to be understood by us and to, and to overwhelm us and to win our hearts. And that, of course, is his plan. He wants our hearts. Paul says in Ephesians 2, God's plan in the gospel is to show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's what the gospel is. It's God's amazing, undeserved kindness poured out on us. And he wants us to marvel at it. His goodness, his kindness, his undeserved favor. And he wants us to marvel at it not just once or twice or just at the beginning of our Christian lives. He wants us to marvel at it our whole lives and for all eternity. And may it be so for each and every one of us. May you truly believe in and enjoy the amazing grace and peace of God that he's lavished upon you in his kindness in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we ask that by the grace of your Spirit, you would truly cause the gospel of your grace to accomplish all your purposes in us. We pray that you'd open our hearts to marvel at your undeserved grace. We deserve something so much worse because of our sins. So help us to trust in and believe in your love and your grace toward us. May the greatness of your grace soften our hearts and win us. We ask these things in your Son's great and strong and precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.